Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. serve a faithful God. Interwoven throughout the fabric of scripture, we see traces of God's faithfulness. We see traces of the God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham because in Genesis 12, God told Abraham to leave his country, his family, his father's house and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And brothers and sisters, in Abraham's life, God proved himself to be faithful. We see God's faithfulness in the life of Moses. Moses, the great liberator of Israel, who was called to bring Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And in Moses' life, when you read his narrative, you will see that God proved himself to be faithful. We see traces of God's faithfulness in the life of Joshua. Joshua, Moses' successor, whom God called to continue the journey towards the promised land. God told Joshua... That the same way I was with Moses, I shall be with you and no one should be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And in Joshua's life, God proved himself to be faithful. As a matter of fact, we see the faithfulness of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples that the son of man must go to Jerusalem to be betrayed by the chief priests and the elders and be crucified. But in three days, the Son of Man shall rise again. And God, in the person of Jesus' life, proved himself to be faithful. And on this morning, I believe that if we need any more proof about the faithfulness of God, I believe we don't have to look at the life of Abraham. We don't have to look at the life of Moses, nor the life of Joshua. All we have to do this morning is survey the room because I believe that there are persons under the sound of my voice or maybe someone who may be watching me by Facebook who can testify to the reality of God's faithfulness. There are persons on your row or maybe sitting in your seat who can look back over their life and can see the footprints of God's faithfulness in your life. And you agree with the hymnologist who says, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thy changes not, thy compassion there fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. As thou has been, thou will forever be. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All that I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. I love what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering, for he who is who has promised is faithful. And for somebody in here, the reason why you ought to be thankful this morning is because you know that God's faithfulness to you was not always predicated on your faithfulness to him. 
I'm going to say it again. You can be thankful because you know that God's faithfulness to you was not always predicated on your faithfulness for you. I know for some, you have always been faithful. I know for some of you, you have always lived up to the standard God has set for your life, and that's cool. But there are others of us, under the sound of my voice, we know that we have not always been faithful. We know that there was times when God said, go left, and we went right. There was times when God said, leave, and we stayed. There was times when God said to stay, and we left. There were times where we did not cross every I nor dot every T, but the good news is that even when we were unfaithful to him, God remained faithful to us. And this is what makes the faithfulness of God so scandalous is because God often remains faithful to persons who are not faithful to him. And nowhere do we see the depth of God's faithfulness like we do in the book of Judges. We see in the book of Judges, we witness a people who refused to remain faithful to God. We know Israel, that called out community who was called out by God to be his reflection in the earth. God entered into a covenant and a marriage and gave Israel specific instructions and if they obeyed those instructions they will walk in blessings if they disobeyed they will walk in curses and all throughout the book of just uh, judges that we see Israel constantly failing to uphold their end of the covenant if you read through the first six chapters of, of, of judges you will constantly see the phrase that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and one thing you have to notice about judges in Israel that every time Israel would do evil in the sight of the Lord they will face consequences and when they face those consequences they will lift up their voice unto God and cry out for help and God in his grace and his love will raise up for them a judge to deliver him and you would think that after uh, chapters uh, 2 when they said that evil did that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord you would think that when God delivered them out of that they would be cool but in chapter 3 it says again they did evil in the sight of the God and God delivered them after that if you read chapter 4 it says Israel was did evil in the sight of the Lord and God did deliver them out of that in chapter 6 where we are it says that God that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and God was about to deliver them after you would think that after chapter 2 after chapter 3 and after chapter 4 that God would just throw Israel away because God kept delivering them and they kept being unfaithful. But can I tell you about the good news of our Lord and about the good news of God that even when we mess up time after time after time after time again because God is so gracious and he is so loving. He See, God doesn't do you like people do you. See, people, when you mess up, they may help you one time. If you mess up again, they may help you a second time. But if you mess up a third, they may leave you to your own advice. And I'm so glad that God is not like people. I know we used to say that God is the God of the second chance, but we know that's a lie because we know that if God was only in the business 
practice of giving second chances, we would have blew that chance the day after we got saved. But some of us can testify that the only reason why I'm still here this morning and clothed in my right mind is not because God is the God of a second chance. It's because God is a God of another chance that even when we messed up time after time after time after time, God was so gracious to deliver us time after time after time after time. And that should be enough for some of us to give God glory. That should be enough for some of us to tell God thank you. See, people who've never messed up before, they need somebody to pump them up to praise God. People who've never messed up before, they need the lights to be right and the music to be right. They need it to be a certain type of environment in order to give God the glory. But when you realize that if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, when you realize that if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God, you would have been gone a long time ago. Every time these doors open, don't nobody have to beg or pump you up or get you in the mood. You already come in in the mood because you know that if it had not been for God, he would have been gone a long time ago. We see traces of the faithfulness of God. Watch this. Israel, in chapter 6, they did evil in the sight of the Lord again. And here is God being who God says he's going to be, being faithful. And, and, and what he does is he, he calls a man, because Israel were not being governed by kings, they were being governed by judges. He calls a man, watch this, by the name of Gideon. And like most who are called by God, Gideon did not believe he had what it took to do what God was calling him to do. Gideon, like many of us, was filled with fear, doubts, and questions. And, and there may be someone in here today or watching me who finds themselves in the same place as Gideon. God has called you to do something. He has placed an assignment over your life. And you are hesitant to walk in the assignment because you don't believe you have what it takes. You're not sure you have what it takes to get the job done. You have what it takes to finish good school or to start your own company or to run for office or to leave or to be a good husband, to be a good wife or to be a good parent. But let me say this, brothers and sisters, if you don't hear anything else I say to you this morning, God sent me to tell you that you have what it takes. You have what it takes to be who God has called you to be, to do what God has called you to do, and to face what God has called you to face. I'm going to say it again. You have what it takes to be who God has called you to be, to do what God has called you to do, and to face what has God has called you to face. Some of you saying, well, Pastor Mercy, you don't know me. How do you know I have what it takes? How, how, how do you are? Are you so sure I have what it takes to fulfill the assignment over my life? Can I tell you three things from this text that'll let me know you have what it takes? Number one, you know why you have what it takes? You have what it takes, number one, because you have unknown potential. Let the church say unknown potential. Notice, brothers and sisters, the Bible says that Gideon, let me, watch this, is in the, the, is in the field. He's in, he's in the wine press, right? And in verse 12, it says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty.
mighty man of valor. This translation says, you strong warrior. But here's what you have to understand. Gideon, as you know, is threshing wheat in the wine press. Wheat was usually separated on threshing floors so that the wind could carry away the shaft in the winnowing press. However, Gideon in this moment is not threshing wheat on the threshing floor. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. Why? Because he is afraid of the Midianites. He's afraid of the Midianites. He's in the wine press out of his fear. He is hiding out. And while he is hiding and he's fearful, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. I'm going to say it again. He's hiding. He's in fear. He's timid. He's running away from the Midianites. He doesn't want them to take the produce. So he's in fear. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of faith. This greeting is very perplexing. Why? Because nothing about Gideon in this moment suggests that he is a mighty warrior. Nothing in this moment suggests that he is what the angel just called him. <laughs> and I had to ask God the question. I said, God, you called Gideon. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is timid. Gideon is acting fearful. And here you are calling him a man of courage. He, he's hiding. He's fearful. He's timid. And you come up on him and you call him a warrior. God said, yep. I said, God, I'm a little confused. And he says, Derek, let me tell you why you're confused. The reason why I called him a mighty man, a valor and a warrior is because I was not looking at him for who he was in the moment. I saw him for who he would be once I got through with him. You better catch this. God says, see, your problem is you're looking at Gideon for who he is in the present. But I'm looking at him for who I know he shall be in the future. And this is why God does not give up on people. People give up on people. Why? Because we can only see persons for who they are at the moment. But God does not give up on people because he sees them not for where they are right now. He sees them for who they shall become in the future. You want to know why God has not given up on you? It's because he is not looking at you for who you are right now. He sees you according to who he knows you're going to be. While everyone was looking at Gideon and saw a wimp, this same God looked at this same Gideon and called him a warrior. I want to tell somebody that God does not see you the way people see you. God does not even see you the way you sometimes see yourself. And can I tell you part of the job of the enemy that one of the goals of the enemy is to keep you blind to the way God sees you. The enemy knows that one of the greatest revelations you can receive is a revelation of how God sees you. Because once you receive that revelation, it will shift the total trajectory of your life. It is the revelation of how God sees you that will catapult you into your destiny. And that's what God is getting ready to do for somebody because you've been
been looking at yourself through the wrong lenses. You've been looking at yourself through the eyes of your mama. You've been looking at yourself through the eyes of your daddy. You've been looking at yourself through the eyes of your flaws and through the eyes of your mistakes. But God is going to give you a revelation of not how people see you, but he's going to give you a revelation of how he sees you. And baby, can I tell you that how God looks at you, he doesn't see you based on your failures. He doesn't see you based on your flaws. He doesn't see you based on your mistakes. God sees you according to the purpose he has for your life. God was looking at Gideon through the Gideon. I know you are acting like a wimp, but there is a warrior inside of you. And here is what I love about God. God did not wait until Gideon acted like a warrior to call him one. He did not wait until Gideon acted like, see, God does not wait until you act like it before he calls you it. Because he knows that if he never calls you it, you will never act like it. Because you can only act out your identity. This is why once you get born again, the first thing that God starts to do is not work on your actions. No, the first thing he starts to do is work on your identity because he knows that your actions are just just the offsprings of your identity. So he deals with your identity first because he knows that once you have an understanding of who you are, then your actions will come in alignment with who he says you to be. You may not be acting like it now, Gideon, but that warrior is in you. And I came to tell somebody who may be watching me by Facebook, it's in you. Uh, You may not be acting like it now, but it's in you. You may not feel like it now, but it's in you. You may not look like it now, but it's in you. Others may not see the warrior in you. Others may not see the leader in you. Others may not see the owner in you. You may not even see it in yourself, but God sees it in you. He sees it in you. And sometimes God has to orchestrate situations in your life uh, so that he can bring forth what he has put in you. Because for some of us, what he's put in you has been lying dormant. And God wants to awaken what he has put in you. There is more to you than you know. There's a side of courage, a strength, and a creativity. There's an anoint, a gifting inside of you. And part of the enemy's job is to keep you blind to what is inside of you because he does not want that thing to come forth. Because he knows if he allows it to come forth, the type of damage it is going to do to your kingdom. And if there was not nothing in you, do you think the enemy would be attacking you? If there was not nothing in you, do you think the enemy would be trying to get you to quit and drive you crazy and trying to infiltrate your mind? If there was not one thing I will give the devil credit for, the devil does not waste his time. He don't waste his time dealing with people he already have, and he don't waste his time dealing with folk who ain't got nothing. The fact that he feels to have your name on his radar, don't look at it as something bad. You need to look at it as confirmation that there must be something in me with all the people in the world. The devil feels the need to attack me, and the reason why he's attacking you is because he wants you to make decisions that will abort what God has planned in your life. It's in you. 
it's in you. I said 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 it's in you. And in order for you to act like you first got to hear it, you can't, oh, I got to say a word to parents. That's why don't wait until your child start acting like who God told you they were and to call them that. No, you start calling them even when they're not acting like it because that's how you can shift them. And to see, when you, you know when you need to speak life over your child the most, you know when you need to call them by who they are in God the most, it's when they're not acting like it. Don't wait until they're acting like it to start speaking it over them. No, wait, don't call it to them when they're acting the opposite. Because what you are doing is planting a seed for what's in them to await. That's what God did. Because watch this, Gideon, he says to Gideon, you, you mighty man of valor. It was in Gideon. Gideon just needed somebody to pull it out of him. How I know it was in him. Because notice how Gideon responded. When he says the Lord is with you. He says, if the Lord is with us, then what happened? Then why is all this stuff happening to us? And, and where are all the miracles that our forefathers told us about? And watch what verse 14 says. It says that the Lord turned to him and said, watch this, go in this might of yours to go save Israel. Notice, in verses 12, Gideon was fearful and he was timid. But when God, when the Lord said, you mighty man of valor, which it means warrior, which means strength, it awakened something in Gideon. And when he questioned God, watch this, the strength that God knew that was in him came up. And God says, there it is. I want you to use that strength and go and save Israel. Can I keep you moving? Because not only do you have unlimited potential. But you have what it takes, watch this, because you have unlimited possibilities. It's in the text because he says, Gideon, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And Gideon questions the Lord, and he says, wait a minute, God, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Gideon did not believe, hear me, he was qualified for the assignment because of his inadequacy. He did not believe he had what it took because of his flaws. Gideon was doing what a lot of us do. He was allowing who he was and where he was to limit his possibility. He felt like he did not qualify. And the Lord sent me to talk to somebody who feels as though you don't qualify. We've all wrestled with it before. You feel as though you don't qualify to be who God has called you to be. You feel like you don't qualify because of who you are. You feel like you don't qualify because you, of where you're from. Because persons from this side of town are not supposed to be called from that for that type of assignment. You, don't, you feel disqualified because you had a baby out of wedlock. You, you, you feel disqualified because you've been to jail. You, you, you feel disqualified because you know what you struggle with in Eternally. But here is what you must understand. If you were disqualified from it, Gideon, 
God will not be talking to you about it. Why would God be talking to you about what you are not qualified for? I'm going to say it again. Why would God talk to you about what you are not qualified for? See, the enemy wants you to feel disqualified so you won't pursue. But here is what's deep. Gideon, Lord have mercy, comes up with these excuses as to why he doesn't have what it takes. He tells God that, God, I'm the least in my family and my family is the weakest, he tells God as if God does not know. We have to remember that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. I remember I was praying one day, and God, about some things that God had placed in my heart, and I felt like Gideon, and I was coming up with things of why it couldn't come to pass, and I heard these words in my ear, I know. And I didn't understand it until I read scripture, because I believe God was looking at Gideon like he looks at some of us. Like, Gideon, you telling me something as if I don't know that. Don't you think I know that you are from the weakest tribe? Don't you think I know that you are the least in your family? Moses, don't you think I know that you have a speech impediment? Jeremiah, don't you think I know how old you are? Mary, don't you think I know that you've never known a man? Abraham and Sarah, don't you think I know how, how old both of you are? Sarah, don't you think I know the condition of your womb? After all, I made the womb. Mary and Martha, why are you telling me that Lazarus has been dead for four days? Don't you think I know that Lazarus has been dead for four days? Let me make it personal. Don't you think I know where you grew up? Don't you think I know how much money you got in the bank? Don't you think I know that you only have a high school education? Don't you think I know that you had that you are a convicted felon? Don't you think I know about your level of experience? Don't you think I know about what you did when you were 16? Don't you think I know about what you have or what you don't have? Stop talking to me about stuff I already know because I already, hear this, took it into account when I called you. I took it all into account before I told you to go and do what, and the fact that I called you means that your assignment is not limited by whatever flaws or inadequacies you may have. Lord, that's good news. God says to somebody, I know you have inadequacies. I know you have flaws. I know you're not the best of the best, Gideon. I know that you're not from the strongest clan, but that's why I'm going to use you. See, what Gideon failed to realize is what, what he thought disqualified him actually is what qualified him. Because the fact that his clan was the weakest and he was the least, that was the qualification he needed. See, God says to Gideon, see, it's easy for me, Gideon, to go to the strongest tribe in Manasseh and pick the strongest person in your family. God, God said, it would be easy for me to get the person who was voted most likely to succeed in school. It would be easy for me to get the smartest and the strongest, but I don't get much glory out of that. I receive the most glory 
out of using people the world despised. I receive the most glory out of using people who other folk don't think should be used. Because watch this. See, it was to Gideon's benefit that he was from the weakest tribe. Because had he been from the strongest child and the highest in his family, he probably would not be used. Why? Because the Bible says that God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the wise. See, you're looking at your inadequacies as a disadvantage. And the reason why you're looking at it as a disadvantage is because you're measuring yourself by the world's standards. See, what is a disadvantage in the world is actually an advantage with God because the world chooses the best of the best. They choose the mighty, but God chooses the lowly. So God would, did not use Gideon in spite of his inadequacy. Hear me. God used Gideon because of his inadequacy. God did not use Gideon in spite of him being the weakest. God used Gideon because he was the weakest. God did not use Gideon in spite of him being the least in his father's house. God used Gideon because he was the least in his father's house. And if God can use Gideon from the weakest tribe who was the least in his family, what makes you think, child of God, that God will not lose you? Can I tell you, baby, I don't care what the devil has told you, but you are not disqualified. Don't you allow the enemy make you feel like that because of who you are and because of where you're from or because of what you don't have that that disqualifies you. No, let me change your perspective. That's what actually qualifies you. You know why? Because when God elevates and promotes you because you know you, you won't be able to give yourself the credit. You won't be able to pat yourself on the back. You won't be able to walk with your shoulders high, all proud and all high and mighty. Why? Because you know that there was no way that you would be able to do what you have done with your type of pedigree. You know that the only person that is able to get to where God is able to take you with your type of pedigree is God. You are not what you are not disqualified and you have what it takes. And that's my sermon for you, Faith Restored, that you have what it takes to excel no matter what God, I don't care how old you are. I'm a, yeah, I hear this. I don't care how old you are. Let me tell you about my God. Don't you dare let the enemy make you believe that your years are behind you. Can I tell you that Abraham wasn't se was 75 years old when the call of God came to his life? Can I tell you that Zechariah and Elizabeth didn't receive the promise until they was in their old age? Baby, as long as you got breath in your body, you are never too old. And as a matter of fact, why you think God preserved you? God did not preserve you just for the sake of preserving you. He didn't preserve you just so you can fill a chair on the road. Nah, he preserved you because there is still something that he has for you to do.
do. And what you got to do is stop giving God the excuses and tell God, here I am, Lord, send me. God does not need your ability. He just needs your availability. And if you just yield and let God do what God wants to do in your life, I come to tell you eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what God has for those who love him. I came to tell somebody who may be watching me by Facebook that you think God has been good to you in your past. You think God was good in the early 2000s. You think God was good in 2010. You think he was good in 2017. But baby, you have not seen nothing yet because he is the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Can I give you my last point? Then I got to ride. The reason why you have what it takes is not only because you have unknown potential and not only because you have unlimited, uh, unlimited uh, possibility, but the last reason why you have what it takes is because you have an unending promise. Look at what God told Gideon. Gideon says, God, I'm the weakest in my family. I'm from the weakest tribe. And God says to Gideon, he ignores him, and he says, surely I will be with you. In other words, when he's saying to Gideon, he says, Gideon, see, when I'm with you, when I'm riding with you, it, it, it don't matter where you come from. It don't matter about what your bank account says. It, it don't matter what society says. It, it don't matter about your pedigree. See, when I'm with you, I will enable you to do stuff that cannot be done. He says, Gideon, the reason why you don't have to worry is because the success of your assignment is not predicated on who you are. The success of your assignment is predicated on who I am. So take your eyes off of you and put your eyes on the one who called you. Baby, can I tell you that what God is getting ready to do and the success you're about to walk into is not going to be because of your education. It's not going to be because of your connections. It's not going to be because of your marketing. It ain't going to be because of no flyer. It ain't going to be because of your ministry methodology. You can have the marketing. You can have all the flyers and the ministry methodology you want to have. But if the spirit of the Lord ain't with you, you will fail. And that's why you are going to be successful because you're not doing this thing by yourself. God is with you. And that's what you got to remember. When you walk into your job, you ain't by yourself. The Lord is with you. When you're taking that test to fill out that application, you ain't doing it by yourself. The Lord is with you. When you're writing the business plan or the proposal, you're not doing it by yourself. God is with you. So stop looking at what's working against you and start looking at who's working for you and if God be for us who can be against us and is there anybody in here who can testify that if God called you to do something he won't leave you by yourself but he'll be with you is there anybody who's been walking with the Lord long enough and you can testify that the Lord we serve will walk with you 
every step of the way. The old folks used to sing a hymn that he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. God told Gideon, he said, Gideon, I'm going to be with you and you're going to defeat the Midianites as one man. And if you flip a couple of chapters, you will discover that it happened just like God said it was going to happen. Because if God tell you that he's going to do something, you can rest and assure that he's going to do it because he's not a man that he shall lie, nor the son of man that he shall repent. We serve a God who always keeps his word. And that's why, Bishop, you couldn't die because there was a word that was spoken over your life. And that word has still not come to pass. And you can't die until every word that God has spoke to you about faith restore, about the ministry, will come to pass. He watches his word to perform it. He watches his word to perform it. You don't perform it. He performs it. He watches his word to perform it. And what he's getting ready to do, you don't have to do it in your own strength. By yourself, God says, I got this thing. Let me do it. Let me work. And you shall see that I am more than able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can ask or think. Remember what he told you. I say remember what he told you. When the sickness come, remember what he told you. When you feel like giving up, remember what he told you. When your body gets weak, remember what he told you. When the enemy messes with your mind, remember what he told you. If folks start to leave you, remember what he told you. Remember that no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. Remember that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Remember that he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Remember that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord shall lift up a standard. Remember that weeping may endure for a night, but if you hold on just a little while longer, joy comes in the morning. Remember that he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Remember, 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 remember.
Hallelujah. 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 If God ain't never told you nothing, then you ain't got to thank him. If God ain't never told you nothing, then you ain't got to praise him. But if God spoke some things to you, if God gave you a promise, don't wait until you get it. But you ought to, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to praise God right now, right now, right now. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he keep you? Won't he sustain you? Won't he help you? Say yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have what it takes. 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 Go back to school, because you have what it takes. Open it up, because you have what it takes. Get the writing because you have what it takes. Not because of you, but because of who is walking with you. You have it. You have it. You have it. You have it.